This is Retake, a show about enjoying the cinematic arts. That includes new films, old films, TV shows, or pretty much anything that catches our fancy. I'm TJ, I'll be one of your hosts today on this cinematic journey, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Darnell, and a special guest, Gene. And uh, Gene, I'm going to let you pronounce your Gene? last name. Gene Hackman? He's with us today? <laughs> he is. Gene Hackman <laughs> is with us. Gene, can you pronounce your last name for us? My last name is pronounced Goswer. Ah, Goswer. Okay. Yes. Okay. I, I I looked at it, and I don't know that I remember. I know that I've heard you on podcasts. I just don't remember hearing your last name. And I looked at that name, and I got to it as I was reading the script, and I was like, there's no way. That's not going to happen. Right. Yeah, you would, within 20 tries, you might have gotten it. But if you've heard me on podcasts, you probably heard Mikey Fizzle try to pronounce it, and you most assuredly got the incorrect <laughs> pronouncement. <laughs> this is true. So speaking of that, where might people know you from if they know you at all? Well, I am involved with Real World Theology. I'm an editor on that site, and I'm a uh, guest on the podcast at times. Um, and I write reviews on the site. One of the regular things I do is the Walking Dead uh, TV show reviews. Ah. I do episode reviews of that. Um, I'm also a podcaster on A Clear Lens. That's a Christian apologetics and worldview podcast. And we do uh, bi-weekly episodes. So uh, check those out. Cool. Well, um, this is a, probably a little different uh, for you then, uh, in that we're not necessarily, although we, you know, Joe and I are both Christians, and we tend to, because of the circles we run in, have a lot of Christians on the show. This is not uh-huh. necessarily a Christian show. Um, it's it's fine, and we if, if it comes up because it very well could come up with Superman, we can certainly talk about it. But this might be a little different for you then. Yeah, so. maybe a little bit. That's okay though. Yeah, yeah. So, Joe, remind me who you are again. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hi, DJ. I am your co-host. Uh, we started this podcast network together. Oh, yes, remember yes, that? Yes. A couple of weeks ago. I remember ago. now. Yes, I do. Joe, are you ex- you you must be excited. You've been wanting. We've never talked about this film before. I think I've been looking forward to reviewing this film since 1989, when I probably watched it for the first time. <laughs> Wait, you were late to the game if you didn't watch it till I, 1989. Well, I was born in '85. You know, I I didn't really comprehend capes and stuff. Okay. Quite <laughs> earlier. Gene, do you care to reveal uh, w- what year you were born in, or would you rather keep that a secret? No, that's fine. I was born in 82. Okay. Nice. Post, okay. Yeah, you were born, born post-Superman. Okay. I was born sure. in 82 as well. Uh, it was, so we were all born post-Superman. I, I, kind of, uh, I kind of grew up with it. And in case you can't tell, we're talking about Superman, 1978, Christopher Reeve, uh, Superman. And this is the iconic, uh, definitive— uh, Can we say canon? Yes, I, I would say so. I, I would say so. Well, or at least say, in Gene? motion pictures terms. Yes. This this is when Superman actually came to life, I, I think. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I don't know if any of you guys have. I've watched some of the old shows, the one with George Reeve, and there was another actor, I can't remember, he played Superman in a different show. and It's okay were, that we don't mention mm-hmm. him. <laughs> yeah, it, well, the George Reeves stuff was actually okay. I mean, for its time, certainly. Um, it, it was, I, And I enjoyed it as a kid. We, we tended, It would tend to have like... They would tend to do these like big runs on the Family Channel, and uh, I, th- I think it was the Family Channel. Maybe it was some other channel. Anyway, um, I, I I don't remember. So I remember and then those. There was that but time the- that Ben Affleck played that guy <sighs> in another what? movie. Uh, anyway, yeah. the, 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 uh, Superman <laughs> from 1978 is is when I think of Superman, I think of Christopher Reeve in this movie. What about yes. you guys? Yeah, same here. I think uh, most of the general populace, populace today probably is in the same boat as you, even with. All of the newer Superman coming out, I think Christopher Reeves is probably still the predominantly uh, the face of Superman right now for most people. 
Yeah, and, and when you think of Superman and and you hear the music playing, you obviously also hear John Williams' uh, Superman theme. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you hear. That's what I hear, and and it's what you hear. Like if anything, Superman. Like I was at Six Flags a couple yeah. months ago with my family, and the Superman stuff. Anytime you were around Superman stuff, you heard the oh, Superman yeah. theme playing. You know, yep. and and uh, in Lego Marvel Avengers, my son loves that game. Uh, and and when Superman's around, you hear the S- John Williams Superman theme. Like that's Superman's theme, you know. Right. So, uh, Joe, why don't you uh, why don't you give us some stats about this movie as we kind of dive in here? Okay, so it was released December fifteenth, nineteen seventy eight. It was a very special day. Directed by Richard Donner, who's known for a few other fun flicks, but really this is his sterling achievement. And uh, my thanks to Richard Donner for bringing us this film. Funny story behind that. I heard once from Richard in a, uh, like a interview that it was um, sort of ridiculous. One night he was drinking with a friend, a writer, and they just got to thinking about how incredible it'd be to see if they could make people convinced in the audience that a man could fly in a movie. And uh, they came up with that idea while they were drinking. And because <laughs> of that conversation they had, they ended up directing this film. And so we got the cast here. We got the amazing Marlon Brando yes. as he, he is Jarrell to me. I know he's the godfather to the rest of the world, but he is Jarrell to me. Then you got Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. He does a fantastic job. Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent slash Superman. And uh, wow, this, I, I don't know how to put this any better. Like this whole cast really epitomizes these characters for me. Like it's mm-hmm. like they were born for these roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got, Ned Beatty, we said earlier, as Otis Campbell. We got Jackie Cooper as Perry White. And ah, he was so good. He's the yes. only good Perry White there ever was. Yeah, it's true. That is true. <laughs> we got Glenn Floyd, uh, Glenn Floyd, Glenn Ford as Jonathan Kent and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. We got Valley Perrin as Eve Tessmacher. I don't know about that name, but I'm going to go with Perrin. Then we got um, the composer we already mentioned, John Williams. And, uh, wow, TJ, I have to concur. John Williams really knocked it out of the park with this one. Um, I was convinced a man could fly just from hearing the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you a little bit about Superman in case you've been living under a rock since 1978. Uh, Superman, marketed as Superman the Movie, is a 1978 superhero film directed by Richard Donner, as we've noted. It is based on the DC Comics character of the same name and stars, uh, well... Well, you didn't vet this about very good. We've already read all that, Joe. <laughs> the, the film depicts Superman's origin, including his fancy, his infancy, excuse me, fancy infancy, whatever, his infancy his fancy as infancy. It was a fancy yes, infancy as Kal-El of Krypton and his youthful years in the rural town of Smallville, which, by the way, I'd never noticed before, but when I was watching this a couple days ago. I noticed something that said Smallville on it. Which I had never noticed before. I didn't think this movie even referenced Smallville. Anyway, so the town of Smallville, disguised as reporter Clark Kent, he adopts a mild-mannered disposition in Metropolis and develops a romance with Lois Lane while battling his new rival, Lex Luthor. All right. The quintessential Superman Clark Kent story. Since you're our guest, uh, Gene, why don't you tell us uh, just maybe a, a broad overview of how you feel about this film and what role it's played in your life? Well, I'm really glad you guys asked me on to review this movie because thinking back on it, I think the last time I'd seen it, I was probably in my early teens. Uh, I watched it a few times, maybe when I was eight or nine, and then probably last time was when when I was in my early teens. And thinking back on it, uh, 
the one thing that I was remembering was that I wasn't too impressed with the effects, like mm. showing him fly, catching a helicopter, all these things. But when I'm watching it now as an adult and considering the time difference, it's really not so bad. Um, I think they did a fine job making Superman look like he could fly. I mean, when you compare it to what is done today, you know, every time he takes off and lands, you've got a little six by six square foot of destroyed concrete or pavement or whatever it is. Right, right. right. Um, so in this in this movie, it's is much more graceful. It's much more, um, uh, not necessarily toned down, but just more more careful in the way that they they portrayed Superman just taking off and kind of gliding into his abilities. Um, as far as the impact on me, I think you know we were talking a little earlier that. Christopher Reeves really is the quintessential face of Superman. He is he embodies the um, the tone of the hero that we all like to think of. You know, we get a lot of broody, um, darker tones now with our heroes, and this rendition of Superman is kind. He refers to himself as a friend. Uh, he, you always feel like he's going to make the right choice and he's not necessarily conflicted about it. He kind of has a clear path of what he wants to do. And that's kind of refreshing in a sense. And you like to think of the the superhero with the most powers, the most powerful superhero out there, uh, really is just a good person. He has everyone's best intentions in mind and he and he fights for, you know, justice and truth and these things. So having that as me viewing that as an eight and nine year old in the eighties and then moving into the nineties, I think you had a, it, it's interesting, the timing of its release, because I think in like the eighties and nineties and probably seventies, late seventies too, I think you had kind of a, an era in America where Everyone was proud to be an American. Patriotism was maybe as as at its highest ever, um, in terms of you know fighting the Cold War, fighting against communism. Mm-hmm. No one's ashamed to wave the flag. No one's waving it upside down. And certainly nowadays, that doesn't seem to be the case. Not everyone would call themselves patriotic. And Superman, I think, kind of embodies. Not necessarily why we have that pride, but what we feel like America could stand for when it's got its best intentions in line, when it is fighting for justice. And I think Superman kind of helps to put a kind of a face to that era a little bit, kind of a face to that time period of somebody who is fighting for those things and feeling like you belong to a country who's fighting for those things as well. So I would I would say that's that's kind of how it shaped sort of my youth growing up. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Joe? I liked that in the movie that they show Clark or as Superman that he's not. Uh, there's no task that's too small or too big that he's willing to to deal with. You mean he might get a cat out of a tree for a little girl yeah. who would be accused of lying, for instance? And he he's not so <laughs> preoccupied with his own inner turmoil and his love relationship that it's going to get in the way of his, his acts of service. Mm-hmm. So he, he's a bit more candid with his father, Jarrell, when he in secret, you know, goes to the fortress of solitude and he, he's learning from his elder and, you know, he, he confides in him at one point in the film after his first day as Superman in Metropolis 
that it felt really good to help people that way. But he wasn't sure about what he had done, if it was the right approach, how he should reveal himself to the world. And his father, you know, his response is, I, you know, I wish you had done it a different way. I wish that you had kept it secret, but oh, well, you've gone with this approach. And so let's, let's move on in this direction and embrace it. But you could see that there, there's a lot of innocence in his eyes that he, Mm -hmm. he isn't just trying to be a role model because he's posturing. But he's transparent with his father and with Lois Lane, you know, with his his mom and his dad. So he's got this great friendly relationship with his dad, Jonathan Kent, and he he really admires this man who's raising him up, even though he doesn't have a lot in common with him. And the reason I bring that up is because so many of the superheroes today, if they have bona fide special abilities they're treated like they're special, like they're alien, even if they're not alien, like they're mutants. And so they have yeah. their own class. They have their own race. They have the speciesism. And in this film, you don't get that. He, he feels very much like a man who feels like he just came from another planet, but he regards himself as a, a human at heart. And I like that. I like that approach. I think that that was a very conscious approach from the background of the mythology or canon, you could say from the comic books that predate this film and the embody in this film. In a way, this film is more of a faithful adaptation of the comic books than many other superhero films mm-hmm. because they were, they were able to capture the spirit of what happened to the comic books without losing its soul to try and sell tickets. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess it's my turn. Um, I kind of, uh, I'm trying to remember what film it was. I remember saying this recently about another film. Oh, I think it was when I was on a Cinescope with Chad Hopkins and talking about Star Trek Two. I, this this film feels the same way in that I kind of grew up with it. Like it, I don't remember having not seen this film, and so it, it definitely shaped my childhood in that way. It shaped the way I think about superheroes because honestly, I was actually just looking through a list of superhero films on Wikipedia to make sure I was right. I think. It's a little hard to tell because there's a lot of films in here. Most of them look like they're animated or then they're listing like Zorro rides again, the mark of Zorro, et cetera, as superhero films. I, I really don't think of those as superhero films. But the first like Superman, the movie is like one of the first, if not the first live action superhero film with a budget, you know, that was done well. Um, and it was uh, it was done really well. And, and it kind of set the mark for all the modern superhero films that we have. And, and I, I really love, like you said, Gene, that, that Superman, I think you said this too, Joe, that Superman is, uh, you know, he's just a, a, a good guy. Like he doesn't have this inner turmoil that, that we saddled Superman with in Man of Steel. Um, he doesn't like he he doesn't have all that. Like he's just a superhero. He was sent here by his father, Jarrell, and he is um, he is the embodiment of what we want to be what we, you know, all of us think of ourselves in some way, or no, we don't think of ourselves as the villain in our own stories, right? And so he is the embodiment. Typically, <laughs> I don't know. Some people might. <laughs> if you're listening to the show, I want to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so most people like like he is the embodiment of what we what we want to be, what we aspire to, you know. And 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 like when he uh, he's having this conversation, the kryptonite is is uh, around his neck, and he's you no, know, I want to save Jimmy and, and Lois, and and Miss Tess, Tessmacher's like no. 
you have to save my mother first. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that and he makes his promise. You know, it is uh, he says, yes, I, that's, I'll do that because I want to save the world. You know, that's more important to me on this level than because I'm a, you know, I'm trying to do what's right. And he keeps his promise to her. He could have no, nothing was keeping him from breaking that promise other than his word. Right. That's right. the kind of good superhero that Superman is. And I love that about about him. Uh, and, and uh, well, about the way he's supposed to be. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I really love this film. Um, it's it, it's not a perfect film. It has some issues, which I'll, I'll talk about probably a little bit later. Most of them at this point do have to do with effects. I uh, you, you alluded to this, Gene, that, that the effects hold up, and a lot of them really do. I was struck at the very beginning of this film by how weird the whole Krypton thing is. Um, like, first of all, the planet is, like, really out of focus or something, and it just doesn't hold up well. Later, like, we get a shot with Krypton perfectly in focus as the sun is about to explode, and that's all fine. But, like, the zoom in on the planet, just something went terribly wrong with the effects there. Um, all of, Pretty much everything on Krypton feels weird. Like, like I don't know. I, I think we get a much better portrayal of Krypton in uh, the Supergirl series, for instance, where we've seen Krypton a time oh. or two. Um, I've seen only the first few episodes from that series, so I don't really know yet. But I, well, while we're talking about Krypton in the film, I really enjoy that it feels otherworldly without being weird. I mean, like you said, it is kind of strange. It's weird, Joe. It's weird. Would you say it's <laughs> strange or weird? Or where would you draw the line? Like, I think it actually feels like something that mankind wouldn't have made up. And and for that, I I think it's kind of nice because I guess I, it doesn't feel like a stereotypical alien world by Steven Spielberg. You know, I, had, I hadn't meant to go into this quite yet, but um, yeah. I, I will just say, like, I don't I don't understand how that world or that society functions. Like, I don't get any of yeah. it. It's just weird. <laughs> but it seems to be comprised of just one city. Of yeah. The whole planet. Yeah. Yeah. When I was when I was watching it this time around, one of the first things that popped into my mind was. Where is their food? How do they eat? Where are their <laughs> where, homes? Where is Where's their the atmosphere? Where they is their atmosphere? Energy. <laughs> well, it struck it struck me that the white, you know, using white to such an extreme oh, degree yes. no as this, cones. I think just just no doubt they're they're trying to get across the point that this is like an intellectually and in every other way superior culture. Right. And right. even the way they deal with um administering justice at the very beginning. It's very meticulous. It's laid out. They hit one point, one point, one point. These are facts. And now what's the judgment? And in conversing with one another, Jarrell has a huge disagreement with the council um, to such a degree where if someone were having that disagreement today, they would filibuster in Congress. But Jarrell, <laughs> um, he kind of secedes. Uh, he, he says he'll stay quiet even though he turns out to be right. So it it strikes me as they're very intentionally trying to get across that this is a superior culture. And this is why, and maybe you'll hit on this a little later, Joe, when you talked about some of the weaknesses, this is why we have this, this kind of interlude from one sequence being on Krypton to the next when we see Superman as a toddler of him learning all these things while he's in his ship. He's being taught like, everything Mm -hmm. and we have to buy into that by knowing a little bit about krypton and and accepting the fact that they are a superior uh culture in every way so i think that's it may may have been a little too heavy-handed with the with the white lights and stuff but uh, i think that's certainly what they're trying to get across 
Well, it's very odd the way that Krypton is portrayed because you're right in a sense. Like there's there's definitely that idea that Krypton is this intellectual place and, and we don't, you know, we're really smart and we do really cool things and whatever and we don't have a need for colors. We're all monochrome here because we don't, we, we satisfy our intellectual curiosity in other ways and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, like you get the impression then when Jarell is meeting with the council and telling them, uh, hey, the science says our planet's about to explode and we probably ought to think about a contingency plan. And, and they're all like, yeah, whatever, meh, you know, and right. it's like, um, OK, like if there's like even the slightest bit possibility that this is true, like you're all about to be wiped out. You might want to send some people to preserve your race. Like, I, I don't know. And, and it was obvious they had the technology to populate other planets. Like, it's just very odd, like, because they're, they're trying to go for this intellectual, you know, high ground. And at the same time, they portrayed him as kind of stupid. <laughs> what I find interesting is that in later adaptations of the same scenario, in order to explain the antagonism of all the Kryptonians against Superman's father, they have the idea that another supervillain was a uh, an advanced artificial intelligence built by Kryptonians called Brainiac. And the artificial intelligent Brainiac determined that Jarrell's hypothesis was incorrect. And then if that was true and the intellectuals believed that Brainiac could not be an error, then Jarrell had to be wrong because he he was capable of error. And so that that kind of explains that particular, like the reasoning and I, I think that we're touching upon a point where I said earlier that this feels like a very faithful adaptation of the comic before its time. But on the flip side, it also feels like the only way they could convince you that a man could fly is if they actually reduced a lot of the uh, the tropes, the silliness, and tried to make the 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 plot points and the origin story more believable and more... Uh, like visually respecting the fact that this is a live action film. So it had to feel a little bit more realistic. So even something that was ridiculous and not logical, really, they did their best to make it feel like these were completely rational people and intellectuals that were faithful to their, their education. So they made a noble effort, but I think they just did the best they could do with the source material at that time and then later, storytellers figured out that that was a shortcoming they needed to go back and revisit if they were going to take Kryptonians seriously in later adaptations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we've spent quite enough time on the opening of this film, and we're supposed to keep this under an hour, so <laughs> we probably should move on. <laughs> All let's... right, so Marlon Brando, he was amazing, wasn't he? Uh, yes, let's let's do say that. Marlon Brando is Jarrell, as you've already mentioned, Joe. But he uh, cannot pronounce Krypton. That's <laughs> true. Well, you know, there's. A, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if, if there's proof or, or where this comes from. I have it in my head that somebody has said, or I, I, whether it was a special feature, I read it somewhere that Marlon Brando refused to memorize lines uh, for huh. for any movie, and so like because uh, he felt like it made the performance more real or something. And there was some issues there, like there was some scenes that were hard to get because he didn't like know the lines and he had to like learn them right on the spot and that sort of thing. So. I don't know. I guess you could chalk it up to that, maybe. But other than that, like his his performance, uh, you know, is 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 very good as Jarrell. So yeah. All right. So moving on, 
Um, oh, I, I did. I did want to say too. I found. I, I still find the depiction of the Phantom Zone very odd in this movie. Like uh, other incarnations, get this better. Uh, but, you know, uh, you were talking about how this was one of the childhood films you grew up with. Yes, I, I this film was right there with Winnie the Pooh, classic <laughs> Disney cartoon film. What a what a comparison, yeah. Joe! You are a master at comparison. the two things. The two things <laughs> I grew up on were Winnie the Pooh and Superman. That's all I had until Perfect. I was like six or seven. Perfect. Your childhood yeah. is well rounded. I had a I had Superman pajamas, and I had a worn out collection of plush animals. And <laughs> this film, to me was like the epitome of I can enjoy an adult film because this is live action and these are adults in this film. And I see that that man can fly. Yeah. (laughs) So to me, the whole phantom zone thing was like the only reason I could appreciate any science fiction until I turned 25, because (laughs) I eventually bought into that hook, line and sinker, though it was completely preposterous. I, I, I had a hard time like fathoming what the heck was going on. But I, as soon as I could understand it, I embraced it. Well, you know, we got to set up horrible sequels. So, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, how, how far into this movie do you think, did, did any of you happen to notice, or do you have a guess as to how far into this movie before we saw Superman fly? A while, at least 30 minutes, right? Yeah. Oh, it's way more than 30 minutes, Joe. It's really? an hour. It's an hour. Wow. It is an hour before we see Superman as Superman. It's it's amazing. It's an hour before we see Christopher Reeve. Now, of course, we hear his voice, but we don't see Super Christopher Reeve as Superman for an hour in this film. Yeah, that is that is a different type of pacing than you get in today's films. No kidding. Imagine <laughs> being in the theaters watching that, and you're and you're just like, where is isn't Christopher Reeve in this? Although I don't think he was quite the name he was when this came out. No, this obviously made him what he was. It, but the same would go for Gene Hackman because he was a big mm-hmm. name, and he's not seen for a good chunk of the film. That's true. We we it's much later before we see him. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. only his voice at first. Uh, yes, uh, but I so I will say though that like that's what's so great about this movie is the payoff when we finally get that Superman reveal. R- this is Richard Donner at his best, honestly. We so we get the the tease. I, I don't really call it a reveal when we see him fly out of the out of the Fortress of Solitude. It's more like a tease. And the, the reveal is when Lois is hanging from the helicopter, right? Mm, and right. and you see Superman, because we're hailing back to the comics and the old series and stuff like that, he quickly scans up and down. You know, he does that quick look up and down the telephone yeah. booth, which is really just a thing. It's not a booth. It's a, uh, it's a telephone-like place. Standing area. <laughs> yeah, it, that was such a great moment. Like, everything about all of this, this the saving of Lois and the... And the helicopter, and who's you got me? Who's got you? You know, uh, right. like all lines, that, yeah. all that is, yeah, all that is fantastic uh, stuff, and in a great way. Like this is the first time we've really seen a believable depiction of Superman doing something on screen, and it's really fantastic. Yeah, it is. Can, can we talk about his his uh, suit? Let's uh, let's start with his suit. <sighs> yeah, if we must. Um, it was fine for 1978. <laughs> really, even for then, you feel like it was a little bit of a stretch, but okay. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Gene? I yeah, I don't see any particular problem with it. What's the, what's the issue? Uh, I, I I like it, but I, I have a, a hard pajama-y. time believing that the world could embrace it because it's just so <laughs> off the beaten path for by any other standard. I think the closest thing to it would be like the the live action Batman television se- series of the '60s, and 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it doesn't do him it, any favors. It, it did strike me, especially on this viewing, as just a bit cheesy. And I think, like, I don't think it's that much different. I didn't different. think so growing up. But right, I, right. I, and maybe that's because that, that element of the film really isn't intended for an adult audience. Uh, yeah. I, see, I, here's the thing. I don't think it's that much different, at least in my memory, than what we saw on George Reeve. But the difference, Joe, mm. is that uh, George Reeve and 1950s uh, TV series, it was all black and white. And, and the colors really, really feel pajama-like for me. <laughs> And where this is one thing I think Man of Steel got really right. I like very few things about that movie, but I feel colors like colors were good, but the, the materials, the colors felt too were toned like down. A, like a I lizard. loved, I love the materials yeah. of Superman's really? suit in Man of Steel. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, yes, yeah. You wanted to talk about the suit. There's my thoughts on the suit. What yeah. did, right. did you, we did got you get that out, out of the way? I like did his you... boots. His boots are fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about that scene where uh, we introduce the concept that that Superman can't see through lead, and uh, so really? uh, she's like, "What? What color oh, are my right. underwear?" You know, and right. he's like, "I don't know. This must be made of lead." And then you know, like uh, two minutes later, he's like, "Oh, pink." You know, and yeah. like that. Whole thing, I still don't know how. I, like that. That seemed like a gimmicky way to introduce that. How do you guys feel about that? I just enjoyed the banter up there because it was yeah, a great yeah. interview. It felt yeah. real. And it seems like that was a huge shortcoming for the return of Superman film where all the... Uh, Superman Returns, the, you mean? Yeah, that thing. The <laughs> the dialogue in that film was mostly tread, a tread copy lightly, and paste. Joe. Well, uh, I enjoy that film, but I love that most film. of the dialogue was a copy and paste from this film. Right. And then when it got original, it didn't do it much favors. Mm. This film felt like they embodied an off-the-cuff conversation up there, and Lois's mind was genuinely blown away by this, this, uh, this altogether new kind of being in the world that she knew personally, and he called himself her friend, right. which would blow anybody's mind. Yeah, part part of my part of what's probably uh, messing me up here is I. I'm going to say something that's probably going to be unpopular, probably not going to win me any any points. And I, I just, uh, I don't think Margot Kidder was the right casting choice for Lois Lane. I, <gasps> I don't particularly, and I, I don't see what Superman saw in her. I, I think that um, uh, Kate Bosworth really? was a much better Lois Lane in Superman Returns. Uh. Yes. Unpopular opinion. I'm sorry. What, Gene? I know you. You're you're like a Superman fan. Come on, tell tell me what you're thinking here. Tell me how I, tell me how wrong I am. No, I would I would generally agree with you. In fact, I think I'm thinking through my rolodex of of the renditions of her in the TV series in the new Man of Steel, and I think I like every other uh, depiction of Lois Lane more than Margot Kidder. Because Which Lois Lane from the TV series? You're talking about the 1950s, right? No, actually, I'm talking about uh, Smallville. Oh, I see. I've only watched a few episodes of that. I really need to get in the gear. With I really okay. love that. I watched almost every season of that. And um, yeah, I like mm. I like that Lois Lane better. Of course, in that one, Lana Lang was was much more front and center for right, the, right. the longest time. Yeah. Um, but I felt like in Superman, the I liked the dialogue. I think their lines were good mm-hmm, and appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's kind of weird to the the feeling I get because. If I were to get single shots of each of them saying their lines, I would totally buy in and totally believe it. But I feel like the interaction between the two to make the full scene oftentimes feels somewhat awkward. 
Mm-hmm. And part of it is is in that uh, scene where she's interviewing him at first, and part of it is the underwear comment, you know. Um, yeah. But then, this is like the biggest face palm for me in this movie: the scene where she's flying with him and she's sort of singing a poem in her mind. Oh, I hate that! <laughs> I really hate that. And you know that one in an Academy That is the Award. lowest. That is the lowest point of this movie is it when totally, she's doing that voiceover. Absolutely, it it just. It didn't need to be there because. Can you read my mind? <laughs> <laughs> any connection we got between those two, I think, was already settled. Like we yes. already bought in that she was head over heels for him, and he was for her too. Um, despite whether it's a believable thing, you know, if if we like Margot Kidder as as Lois Lane, you believed that they they were genuinely uh, falling for each other. You didn't need that, and. Uh, I don't know. This 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 may be a lame complaint, but they're holding hands and they're like slipping out of each other's hands, and somehow Superman oh. just doesn't feel that she is about to fall. Uh, right, okay. right. So, uh, for, first of all, I, I actually have written notes about this. This is where this is. A, <laughs> Joe, did you see in in the retake channel on Slack where I said uh, I have I have opinions? <laughs> yes. Um, this is where I I wrote some things down. Um, so, first of all, uh, I guess like. Um, I have questions. <laughs> I, I guess like he just transfers his power over to her and she can just float like because she, she should be hanging. Like well, what is happening here? You would think. I think <laughs> so, her so, strength is holding her up mostly and then maybe just wind velocity like I, I guess at, her arms guess. out like she's a plane, right? You know, so, yeah, you know the yeah. movie doesn't go into it, but <laughs> yeah. I know that some of the comic books have this suggestion that anyone touching him uh, it carries some of his his strength Boo. like it, yeah. It, yeah but it's like yeah. it's not like it's a it's not yeah. like it's full-fledged like anyone touching him can you know have x-ray vision and fly right. but but it's it's the explanation for why let's say that there is a a a bomb that's blowing up and superman dives down to the ground and covers over lois lane and everything in the building is toast and the building collapses on top of them well his cape and his body are not enough to shield the person he's protecting. So the rationalization is that anything coming in contact with him is also temporarily able to manage some kind of uh, borrowed invincibility. Okay. All right. It's that kind of thing, you know, where it's, it's, it's fudging the lines in the comics, but I've heard the theory tossed around. Okay, so that that was my first thing. Is like that's that's really kind of odd. Like she's just floating there beside him. Like she's not hanging because he's holding on to the tips of her fingers. No, but, right. my but seven the, and eight year old. To, <laughs> when we watched this film together, even they thought that that was kind of strange. So okay, so secondly, I still think I remember thinking all always, and I still think I'm watching this film and this viewing. The whole dropping Lois bit like serves no purpose. <laughs> like what is happening? Like I don't understand any of that. Well, it's not the end of the world. I mean, it, it it's uh. You got to remember, this Superman didn't have supersonic speed like the Flash. He wasn't omnipresent by far. He, you know, he kind of run on our time clock. So, mm. as okay. smitten as he was with Lois, I think he was thinking more about her gorgeous eyes than you know where her fingers were on the tips of his fingers. You have an answer for everything. I do. I, I believe in this movie, TJ. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so we've addressed those things. Um, I did also want to note about this flying bit is you, the science people, you can't fly through the clouds and not come out drenched. Like that's not the way that works. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, oh, and wh- while we're on it, like we, we, we were past this point in the movie, but um, lightning cannot strike a jet in the air. That is not how science works. <laughs> really, TJ? 
Do tell. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it has to ground to something, and the jet's not grounded. Oh, that yeah. would explain why. None that's of the that's why. Have like, have you never been lightning. on a jet and flown through lightning storms? Like I have. Uh, no, I'm glad oh, okay. I haven't. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's actually kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you say so. All right. Well, let's back uh, up and talk a little bit about Lex Luthor and his posse. Oh man, yes, loved yes. him. This is my second favorite portrayal of Lex Luthor. What second? <laughs> really? <laughs> what in DJ, the world? What are you doing to me? <laughs> What is your first? Uh, that would have to be. Um, oh, Hold shoot. on, let's I'm, guess. I'm, I'm let's guess. It. Let's guess. Is it Kevin Spacey? It is. It is. <gasps> oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. There I'm would sorry. be no Kevin Spacey likes Luther if it wasn't for Gene Hackman. No, no, I completely agree, and 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 I I think that this is a fantastic portrayal of 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 Lex Luthor, and I completely agree that we wouldn't have had Kevin Spacey. I completely Spacey's forgot Lex Luthor that there was a Kevin Spacey. If Lex we didn't Luthor. have Gene Hackman, and I think Gene Hackman is brilliant, but I think. That Gene, that what Kevin Spacey brought to that role was just a, an edge better, I, I, I would say. But it, it's, uh, you're getting distracted uh, here. You're getting distracted. Well, you know, what's interesting about this is that uh, he is just the right kind of like, what do they call him? A warped, diseased old man or something like that in the film. Diseased where maniac. Is that how a warped a, brain like yours gets the kicks? He, he is a warped guy, but he's also fun. For five minutes, you'd actually think that you would enjoy a conversation with him. So you can understand why he's got two um, other people working with him that, you know, they don't have much going on for an excuse of a life. So they might as well be his cronies. Whereas with other adaptations of Lex Luthor, he is so dry or boring or two-dimensional. I just don't see how anybody could – how he could get any credence or amass a huge company and all this wealth and power and influence because he's just, he's just, so, he's just so boring. He's like a poster board. No, no, I agree, and I'm not. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor is bad. It's my second favorite, and that and that's only by a hair. Like so, um, and I, I'm I mostly said that to mess with you, Joe, because I knew that was going to bother you. <laughs> but I, I do, I do. I mean, that, that is my opinion. Is that that anyway? So, so Gene Hackman, like the whole banter between Superman and Lex Luthor when we get into when Superman, you know, the the he does the frequency thing and he comes and he breaks uh-huh. in and. Uh, I think he's coming, you know, <laughs> um, <Good> stuff, <laughs> you know, uh, Oh, well you knew that this Lex Luthor guy was a creep when he kills the cop in the subway. Oh yeah, for sure. That that really set the stage for just what kind of a, a guy Lex Luthor was. So we immediately get like the seriousness and the gravitas of Lex Luthor. But then we also immediately get as, uh, as Otis comes bumbling in, he's like, you know, and then we, we get some other aspects of his personality right away. Um, you know, it, it's really good. It's really good. But, but my favorite part with Lex Luthor is the banter between Superman and Lex Luthor. Like, like yeah. all that is just great dialogue, great writing. Again, uh, Richard Donner doing what Richard Donner does, you know, really yeah, good stuff. Because I felt like archetypes. Like I wish that more Lex Luthers were like this Lex Luthor. They don't need to be like Gene Hackman, but he feels like the archetype, his witty banter, his witticisms, his, his, appreciation for his own mouth. We all have our little faults. Mine's in in California. (laughs) He he, he loves to hear himself speak. I love that about this version of him. Yes, yes. And uh, I thought that that made him stand out among supervillains. Gene, I'm hearing that you have thoughts you want to express. Let them out. I I think I would second almost everything that Joe has said. Um, I so appreciated Gene Hackman. He is absolutely my favorite uh, Lex Luthor. Um, I think with Kevin Spacey, just, just what you're saying, Joe, I think you hit it on the head. He, he is too 
he's a little too stale and he's he's a little too uh sing, singular in nature i mean he's he's got kind of one path that he's going down and he doesn't deviate from that either in his mannerisms in the way he talks in the way he carries himself in how he deals with people he's somewhat predictable in that way um whereas with gene hackman you he's he varies a lot in in the way he talks in the looks that he has um in his in his uh i want to say henchman but they're I mean, Otis is kind of a kind of a joke for a henchman, a bumbling idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just, I think the way he, I think it's with his line delivery. I think he really mastered that. I think you could see when he was talking to Superman, he was having fun toying with the most powerful man in the world because he knew he had an edge over him, and he mm-hmm. genuinely believed there was nothing that Superman could do, um, which makes the shock of, of the ending and him being, um, you know, him being beaten, uh, all, all the greater and his reaction, all the, all the clownier when he gets, uh, carried into the prison, you know, him exclaiming his greatness, even though this plot has been foiled. I hereby serve notice. He serves notice. <laughs> yes. That's perfect. That's great. And it was, I mean, it was that's, amazing. that's Gene Hackman. You don't get that kind of thing from, uh, Kevin Spacey. No, that's um, true. I'm I'm spacing on the actor's name in Smallville, but uh, you didn't get any of that kind of stuff from Michael him. Michael Rosenbaum. Yes, very good. Thank you. Um, I did like Smallville's uh, interpretation of Lex's relationship with Clark. I liked that, that they mm-hmm. had a past. Um, that was interesting to me. Um, but no, Gene Hackman, I think, I think steals it. So it, as far as the hero and the villain, I think the original rendition of Superman on screen has still has the best despite many attempts to, to duplicate it over the years. Yeah, no, and I respect that opinion for sure. And it's interesting. Um, but I had I great just, hopes for Kevin Spacey. I would say this when I heard he was cast as, as Luther, I was like, that is perfect. And he, he did yeah, great in some moments, but, but yeah. just didn't work for me as quite as well. And I can't think of many other people who could, come close to living up to Gene Hapkin, Hackman's presence on screen. You are not seeing the big picture. Sorry. Mm. That's a Kevin, Kevin Spacey Lex Luthor quote. Mm. <laughs> can, I, can I throw out one of my complaints? Go ahead. This, uh, this is actually more like a, um, a compliment of the film disguised as a complaint. I enjoy the fact that there's like all this mashup of genres so it feels like a sort of like a biblical epic in space at the beginning with Krypton, but then it's this folksy drama in Kansas after that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like a big city drama with Lois Lane and Perry mm-hmm. White in the city. And then it kind of veers into the superhero genre, which they were kind of inventing for the big screen. And I just loved all that mashup along the way. It definitely made this film more iconic than others that have that are in the same category of superheroes and and I don't know and of of its time. I mean, you got to remember one of the other films of its time was Star Wars, which mm-hmm. felt like a mashup as well. And I think that if it wasn't for Star Wars, this film may have even been a bigger deal to worldwide audiences. So this mashup of the film genres is one of its greatest strengths, but also introduces one of the things that 
kind of has annoyed me over the years that I felt like one scene doesn't always flow well into the next. And there are these times where something that would be like a hugely impactful doesn't seem to resonate in later scenes because the characters are, you know, in this lighthearted fair. And so they're really not taking the weight of what happened previously into the next scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just some of these times where it doesn't feel like it all goes together until you hear Jarrell's, you know, talking from the clouds, you know, it is forbidden for you to interfere with human history. Mm. If it wasn't for that, you wouldn't see a tying in to all that stuff at the beginning on Krypton. Like, why does that even matter until now? We've never gotten a clue from Clark Kent or Superman that he would ever even consider debating or, you know, rebelling from his father's wishes right. and things that he was taught from the, from the Kryptonian culture. So there's just some of that you know, disconnect between various pieces of the film that I feel like it's almost like a comic book fashion where you could take this segment of, you know, can you read my mind and turn that into a comic book and it's unto itself. And then the rest of it is in another comic book, you know, that, that, that's, that's one of my, one of my longstanding notice complaints. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair. That's one of the, that's one of the major complaints that people have about it. One thing that, um, I noticed in this watch that connected these segments. So you were mentioning scene to scene, um, and that's that's probably accurate as well. But in the in these larger segments where we go from Krypton, then to Smallville, then to um, him as Clark Kent, the connecting thing between those is this bit of intellectual revelation. So Clark is a baby, and he's on the ship to go to Earth. And there's there's one kind of interlude between two segments of the film, and then in the time where he's in the Fortress of Solitude, he's he's getting more intellectual re- revelation. He's learning more things. Um, he's probably learning more, not necessarily um, uh, scientific things, but probably more about how to deal with his strengths and his powers. Uh, one interesting thing at the beginning. When they're sending him off, Jarrell talks about how powerful he's going to be and all the things he's going to be able to do. And his mother is worried more about what an outcast he's going to be. And she's worried mm-hmm. that he's going to feel alone. And I think that you see in the transition from the second segment when he's in Smallville into the third segment when he really um, takes on being Clark Kent and Superman, you see those two concerns his power. And his being an outcast sort of come to a head where he is going on his own. He is alone and he's kind of searching uh, with this uh, green crystal, right? And so he's an outcast in that moment, but then he learns about all the things he can do from his father. And so he embraces being different. He uses that as an opportunity to um, – try to relate more with, with humanity, I think, in taking on the, uh, the, the person of Clark Kent and being a reporter and all these things. And I think it, though it may not serve as a good interlude between these segments, I think there's some purpose there. It just maybe wasn't executed too well. And, and it's a long time between, like you mentioned, uh, Joe, from the beginning uh, where, he's, where he's told as a child, you know, don't mess with the fate of man, you can't intervene until the very, very end, until when he's told the very same thing again. And you do remember it, but by this time we're two and a half hours through 
a movie. So it's a long connection and it's asking a lot of the audience to stay engaged and stay to remember these things. But I do see an attempt at, at a, a, um, a logical connection there between segments. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 uh, we're, we're uh, heading towards an hour here. So I do want to talk about the ending, um, uh, a little more specifically. And okay. uh, this is where, remember when I said that this film was not a perfect film and I had some problems Oh, with it? DJ. Yes. Uh, Are you going to talk I about science like, again? Uh, well, <laughs> no, except that I did have a note here. I was actually going to ignore it. But since you brought it up, um, uh, the whole, the, the, the only hashtag science uh, um, note that I'll make here is that he pushed up that entire fault line back up and it was crumbling and falling <laughs> apart, but he just pushes it all back yeah. up. What, like, that's just weird. Anyway, so that, that wasn't, that's not the comment though. So everything is fine. I like the way this all unfolds until we get to the time manipulation thing. So there's a couple of problems here. First of all, um, I think that the whole time manipulation thing is lazy. Uh, second of all, um, <laughs> it, it, well, and this goes right along with lazy. First, we, we see Superman wrestling the catch up with this rocket. Like he can barely get and, and then he doesn't have time to get both rockets. But then but then at the end of the like to reverse time, we see him circling the earth several times a second. Yep. Like that doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. He I, lacks I, I motivation, know, TJ. This is not this is not nitpicky. This is this doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't. When he's chasing down the missile, he is only saving Miss Tessmacher's family, right? And now at the yeah. end he like like Joe said, he has the motivation. <laughs> yeah, that, but yeah, it does I'm sorry. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, but like I said, because I saw this film at such an early age, I have a rationalization for how <laughs> he was so smart and everything he could do. There was no wrong. No, of course but not. If I saw this film for the first time yesterday, I think I'd be very critical. It, it, it is. It does. It's, it feels like a shortcoming of the writing altogether. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, so. So in my mind, what happened is. They put Superman in the scenario. They got it on them. We want to have that, but we don't. We don't quite know how to resolve it. Ah, we'll just go back in time, <laughs> and that's so. That's what they did. Like that feels like lazy writing to me. I, I, and I'm not. A, I say this is a not a not a screenwriter, so I don't know. But I just I I feel like there was a better way to do it, and I just don't quite have a grasp on what it would be. But I feel like it was there. <laughs> so I think would you have know. been fine with the time travel if it had been shown in a in a perhaps more believable fashion, like if he had broken. Uh, the speed of light, for example, and just kind of flash kind of disappeared. Maybe I probably not. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that just the it. I feel like that just takes the film down a little bit from from the high that we'd been experiencing. Yeah. It felt a little yeah. hokey. Yep. Yep. I would say so. Uh, and I, I I I guess what I wanted was for uh, Lois to be maybe even dead and revived. Like, like maybe that's what I wanted. I don't know. Maybe that wouldn't have been fulfilling either because it makes sense that he was so wrapped up in, in it's had so many things to do. Like, he's still, like, he can't be everywhere at once. Mm -hmm. Like, th 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 that that part all makes sense. Um, but but then, like, you know, I don't know. And, and then, oh, the, the kicker is when he comes back, and he does nothing, and the scenario is no longer unfolding. Like the crack doesn't happen, and he, they're all just standing uh, around. Yeah. Like, I, I, it's just weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yep, I yeah. agree. It's it's it's, it's no. as though they kind of notice that the logical conclusion to where this is all going is that Lois must die. But if Lois dies, what do you do with Superman now for the sequel and the and the third one? What do you do? Well, and forget the sequel. It's not even a happy ending. Like it's a terrible ending. Then right. so yeah yeah. Yeah, it's very odd. Joe, you're just you're 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 dying to say something. I can feel it. 
It's really hard for me to let you criticize this film because we're talking <laughs> about the best Superman movie we've got. We're talking about a, a cult classic. It's a, I would even go so far as to say it's just a film classic because oh sure. Um, in summing up my feelings about the film, you know, no film is perfect. A lot of the films of the seventies were far I from perfect. I beg to differ. There are perfect films. Trust me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I need to go back and look at your star ratings on our back archive. <laughs> but yeah, there weren't that many perfect films out of the seventies, and it definitely had a heavy influence on a lot of the more optimistic films that we got throughout the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. I think that even in a uh, a small way, great films like Indiana Jones were influenced by this film. So um, I, I, I think that it's great. It's great entertainment. It's fun to share with the kids. And uh, all the more uh, entertainment value to be had from it in the future, I've watched it countless times. And the flaws with it are not so grading on my my sensibilities that I, I need to avoid it. Oh, so, no, no. Same, same here. Yeah, I'm happy with it. Same here. No, no doubt. I, 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 you know, I, I criticize from a place of love. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured that would make you feel better. Um, for you, I'm, I'm assuming if you were to rate this film, it'd be 10 out of 5. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I, I do realize, you know, it's, it's more like a 4 out of 5, or if it was a 4-star okay. scale, I'd give it a 3.5 out of 4. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, Gene, do you have any kind of closing wrapping thoughts that you want to give about this film? Uh, Joe, I liked your note about the optimism there at the end. Um, I think that uh, captures kind of what I was trying to say about the the era and the effect that this movie has on the era and kind of as a foundation to that era of, of, uh, of, of our history in America. I mean... Uh, just being proud of of who we are as as a nation and feeling like we can accomplish anything and and um, I think this film kind of helps set that backdrop and helps kind of reinforce that belief to some degree. Um, and if I were to give it a rating, I would say I would say four out of five as well. And as a little bit of a teaser and uh, to maybe um, uh, ag you guys on a little to have me on when you talk about Man of Steel, I would also give Man of Steel four out of five. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we definitely like. I feel like this is the start of a series. I feel like we need to review Superman, <laughs> Superman Two, and we have to talk about oh. Le- Richard Lester's version and the Richard Donner cut. Um, oh, I was afraid you were going into other darker territory. And then I feel like we need to review Superman Returns because that is a fantastic film. I'm sorry, uh, it is a fantastic uh. film. And then uh, we need to talk about Man of Steel, and we can pretend that three and four never, ever, ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. How do you feel about those, Gene? Uh, I, as a kid, uh, watching, I, I'm spacing on if it was in number three or four, watching the one where he fights the uh, electric guy was, oh my was one of my sure. favorite things to watch as a kid. Yeah, I hated yeah. it as a kid. You did? I don't, oh man. It was so weird. And, and, and I knew, like, as a kid, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew there was something wrong technically with that film. And I did a watch through of all the Superman films uh, last year, the year before, something like that. And when I got to four, I was like, so three was pretty bad technically too. But when I got to four, I was like, what did, did they hire home movie people to do this? Like the effects are awful. They're just awful. So anyway, we'll pretend three and four don't exist. So yeah. So my rap, my closing thoughts on Superman 1978 is that it is a fantastic film. I would, I would go so far as to say not only did it set the stage and for the era – but I think that it set the stage for modern superhero films. Like, would we have the superhero landscape that we have now if not for Christopher Reeve Superman? I doubt it. 
Uh, it certainly wouldn't look the way it looks today. I mean, because it was really one of the first. It was a forerunner, and it, mm-hmm. it really set the stage. And and it it you know all the optimism is great. I get so sick of it. Like one of my big complaints about Captain America: Civil War, for instance, is like yet another film where our heroes hate each other and they're going toe to toe, and there's not much optimism. And you know, like I liked it, but come on, it's I, I'm ready to flip the th- thing the ready to flip things back around and be optimistic again and 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 so this is a breath of fresh air in that way for sure so um despite some of the complaints that i have with this film uh, that i've already mentioned um i would say that this is one of my favorite superhero films uh and uh the it is the canon definition of superman in my opinion when i think of superman as we've all discussed this is it and if i had to rate it I would uh, I would be right there with you, Gene. Four out of five stars. Yep, definitely the canon film. It's what any Superman story should be compared to, I think. And uh, a lot of them have come up short. <laughs> I would say I would say most of them have come up short. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, this this is a great film. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, where have you been? <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I really had fun uh, reviewing this with you guys. I. I I feel like it's hard to do it justice in an hour, but it would be hard to do this film justice in three hours. So uh, what? Uh, if, if people want to follow up with us and continue the conversation, Gene, where can they do that with you? I am on uh, Twitter. You can find me there at Wizard of Gaz. That's wizard with no A. Uh, for a lot of movie fans nowadays, Letterboxd is a pretty popular thing. I'm on Letterboxd. Just search for Gene Gosworth. And uh, Real World Theology, especially on our Facebook uh, group. Go ahead and join into that, and we're always having a good time in there talking about uh, whatever the newest thing is. Yep, for sure. I enjoy that group. It's fun. I I lurk mostly, but it's fun. And Joe? I am JCS Darnell on Twitter. Uh, You can also find me. I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. That is the best place to catch up with me. Uh, and uh, I do lurk in the Real World Theology group, so, uh, you know, head out, head over there, too, and maybe maybe, maybe uh, we can talk about something there. Uh, that's it. You can find show notes for this episode at uh, nightowl.fm slash retake slash five. Let me make sure that's right. Yes, this is five. So that's where you'll find show notes, links to things and all the stuff and all the things. And uh, you can find uh, links to Gene's Twitter handle and those sorts of things as well. Thank you so much for joining us for a review of this iconic film. Uh, we have something special going on in the works for our next couple of episodes that have to do with current TV, so uh, keep an eye on the Twitter account for that. That Twitter account is NightOwlFM. With that, we're out of here. Thanks so much for joining us, Gene. Thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you all later. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.